Hi, I'm Xander Wilson, and welcome to another episode of the Silver Bullet Podcast. This podcast is about lessons learned in running a business, with a strong focus on startup founders and CEOs. It's all about finding out what gaps these disruptors have identified in the market, what they're doing differently to their competitors, and of course, to find out their silver bullet for business success. On this episode of The Silver Bullet, I'm chatting with Tom Ferrier. Tom is a former corporate executive turned tech entrepreneur and founder of clean tech startup Greener. We chat about how Greener is empowering businesses to reduce their carbon footprint, the importance of purpose to any business, and why you should never let perfect be the enemy of good. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today, Tom. Xander, excited to be here. So just to start with, let's start right at the start. Tell me a bit about Greener, a bit about your mission. What's the elevator pitch? Mate, at Greener, we exist to bring people and businesses together to help end climate change. And really, it's because people don't realise we can stop this crazy problem. What we need to do, though, is everyone needs to get their carbon footprint down to two tonnes, and then we can actually end this crisis. So we help both people and businesses do that because we've got two complementary solutions. The first one helps businesses get greener. And in under five minutes, businesses can understand what they're already doing, if anything, to be more sustainable. And then we give them their own personalised pathway to get greener and reduce or get their emissions down to zero as well as get their waste down to zero. And from there, businesses can then, I guess, attract new customers for their efforts by getting showcased in our consumer app, the Greener app. And that gives people greener brands in the palm of their hand for everything they buy. It measures their uh, carbon footprint and helps them get down to that two-ton target. And every time they shop with brands in our green economy, the purchase is automatically made carbon neutral. So... We're really excited about what we're doing. We've got some great support and um, we're looking to take things to the next level. Yeah, and, and if I understand right, the business side of it's up and running. How, what do businesses do if you're a business looking to get on? Um, what do you need to do essentially? So initially we're starting in the retail sector um, because that really is complementary for our consumer solution. And we're currently in a closed beta, so they probably won't be able to find the link right now. But we're working with some of the more sustainable businesses out there to shape this product. And businesses simply sign up. They go in, in under five minutes, they answer a few questions around what they're doing to reduce emissions and waste, how they're using more sustainable materials, and how they're a more responsible business. And then they get their own personalized pathway, which really does start with the low-hanging fruit. Switch to green energy, the impact's high, the effort's low, and then we actually give these businesses, they're always told what to do, we give them an easy, I guess, pathway and tell them how to do it. Um, and so people can be, I guess, driving massive impact in within 15 minutes. So it's really exciting because we've just partnered with the Australian Retail Association, who's the peak body for retail in the country. They have hundreds of thousands of shop fronts as members and they're leading the UN's race to zero. But the challenge is all of these businesses don't know what to do. And so really the greener for business product is there to help them get there. Yeah, fantastic. And look forward to sort of diving a bit more into that. What I'd like to sort of do first though is, is learn a bit more about you and sort of how you got to the point where, where you did this. So what were you doing before you founded the company? What's your sort of business background and, and what sort of led you to this point? Now, my background isn't really all that relevant to what I'm doing today. I, I guess, if anything, I'd actually say it's probably put me at a disadvantage. So I was working in big corporate. Um, I was working for an ASX top 20 leading their global IT strategy. 
Now, it was a fantastic job. I was probably, I was, you know, years ahead of myself in terms of the career. I was, I was doing great things and I loved it. But the business was about to move its head office from Sydney to London and I didn't want to go. And at that time, I saw this quote that said, the biggest risk in life is not to take a risk at all. And that just really resonated with me. And I thought, I don't want to be 80 years old on my deathbed wondering what if, why not roll the dice and see if I can do something special? And if it doesn't work, I go back into the corporate world. Now, I guess I had a few ideas I wanted to focus on. And I thought, look, if I can succeed at the big end of town and big corporate, how hard can a startup really be? It's got to be pretty straightforward. And mate, how wrong was I? After 15 years in large business, I was effectively hardwired to do things the opposite way you should be doing them as a startup. And the first startup that I um, really embarked on, it didn't work, but ultimately it pivoted into where we are today at Greener. And like I said, it's early days, but we feel things are heading in the right direction, which is super exciting. Yeah, and and where did the conversations? What conversations did you have? Who were you chatting with when when the ideas specifically for greener or or the way that you took those steps to get there came from? Was it was it you know your personal attachment to to the environment? Was was there a passion that was underlying there that you sort of that's come through here? I guess there are sort of two parts to it. So what actually led me to try something myself. Apart from that quote that I mentioned, my dad passed away about 15 years ago. And before he passed away, I said, I'm going to do something special and I'm really going to make my mark on this world. And it's something that I've always held true and held deep. And it's something that I still truly get out of bed every day to do. Um, And while the environment's been a real, I guess it's been a real interest of mine. It wasn't the number one cause. Dad passed away from cancer. So I really wanted to try and solve that problem. And ultimately, that didn't work. Um, But ultimately, what led me to this, it was two weeks after I realized the initial sort of venture wasn't working. And I was struggling. I was struggling to get out of bed for two weeks. Like, I just had no purpose myself. I'd invested all this time, all this emotion, energy, and, and I guess expense, and it didn't work. And I guess I finally mustered up the courage to get out of bed, to leave the house. And I was, um, I'd booked into an event about a month or two before, and I really didn't want to go. But I did. I went along and I was having a drink in the corner because I didn't even want, I didn't want to speak to myself. You know, you're that down on everything. I thought, why would anyone else want to speak to me? I'm just going to stand in the corner. And someone came up to me and before they could even introduce themselves, they just were at me. Did you know consumerism is the cause of the climate crisis? And I just thought, I don't want to be here and I definitely don't want to be here with you. <laughs> I just thought, this is, this is not what I'm here for. And I didn't say anything and they, they just kept talking. It's because everything we buy has a hidden price tag on the planet. That price tag's carbon, the key contributor to climate change. And that actually piqued my interest a little bit because the way they'd said it, I'd never thought of it like that before. And I started to visualize a can of Coke and I knew that they're about $2, but I wondered what this hidden price tag was on that can. I said, okay, hang on, keep going. And they said, well, look, we can actually stop climate change. That's the great news. If we all get our carbon footprints down to two tons per annum, 
And I said, well, what's mine? And they said, the average Aussie is at about 20 tonnes. But that moment, I firstly didn't realise we could stop this crisis. I definitely didn't know we all had our own individual target that we could really make a difference with. And from that moment, the next morning, I was out of bed before the sun came up. I was ready. And I thought if consumerism is the cause of this crisis, maybe it can also be the solution. And since then, there hasn't been a day that I haven't been working on greener. And so you mentioned, you know, you're still in the fairly early phases of it, but you have still have already got some brands and companies on board. I just wanted to know what was the experience like taking the proposition to brands and companies in the first place? Was there sort of immediate receptiveness? Was there a lot of, you know, oh, we're not sure about this? What was that like? And 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 how have you learnt from from doing that initially to how you sort of change the way you pitch yourself now? Yeah, I think as most startups, every founder is in love with their idea and they're certain that it's going to work. And you get a lot of pats on the back and people telling you, yeah, this is fantastic. But it's because they don't want to hurt your feelings. And I think one of the key things that we always keep front of mind is let's make sure we're not just, you know, we ask ourselves this all the time. Is what we're building a good idea people will buy and use or is it just a good idea? And if they're not buying and using it, it's just a good idea. And that's great, but it's not going to successfully translate into a successful business. So we were always doing that. And again, successfully trialing or trying things, failing, learning, but most importantly, successfully trying again. And I guess some people call it the innovation mindset. Some would call it being just a glutton for punishment. And I guess it's up to you to see where you stand on that. But I guess the biggest shift we've seen in our business from the early days to now is our focus on not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. And it's something we always talk about at Greener. It's one of our core values. And I think early on, we were trying to be too purist. We were trying to be too perfect and too deep green with what we did. And so if I talk you through a bit of an example Our consumer app, it gives people green brands in the palm of the hand for everything they buy, helps them measure their footprint and get it down to that target to help end climate change. Um, And whenever they're shopping, or sorry, that's how it was working. And we were trying to be really purist about it at the start. And so we thought, let's start with the most impactful actions and let's prescribe those to people. So find your footprint and then switch to green energy. You can shave off a few tons of your footprint. Switch your super to an ethical super. Switch insurance company. Now, in theory, that's all great if you're trying to deliver maximum impact, but it's terrible in practice because it's just too high barrier. It's too hard for the user. And they get all excited thinking, I didn't know we could solve this problem. And then they've got to speak to their flatmate or they've got to change a bank or what have you. Too hard. So we really learned that People wanted simple, low barrier actions just to get started. Where can I buy my everyday items that are better for the planet, whether it's my coffee, my T-shirt, groceries? And after trialing that, we saw much better adoption. And with that data, we saw we did a pilot with Boopa. We demonstrated we could reduce their employee and customer footprints, carbon footprints by 23%. And in another pilot with Harvard, we showed that we could bring green businesses upwards of 10% of customers from their competition. 
Armed with that data, we managed to get a couple of early uh, sort of early brand sign up. And then once you get a few decent logos around your sort of page and you've got some of this data, um, if you're relentless, things just keep happening. And so um, I guess not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good was one of those things that really did has now helped us fast track our plans. And with momentum brings more momentum. And I guess that's how we got past that first stage of how do we get businesses to join? And we're super excited. We've now got over 250 brands joining as founding partners of this green economy, and we hope to double that by launch. Yeah, definitely. And one of the other things that sort of struck me when, you know, reading about the business and, and looking into to the things you, you guys are doing is, you know, we've probably seen, particularly in the last three or four years, a lot of studies and surveys about how younger generations are making their consumption decisions, taking into account, you know, social, societal environmental causes and and we're seeing brands feel like they're forced to act now i guess my question is do you think that a business like greener would have worked 10 years ago or do you think the consumer sentiment is one of the things that is really going to enable you to succeed yeah i think you are spot on if we tried to do what we were doing 10 years ago targeting the target market we're trying to target today which is a more mainstream consumer um, I don't think it would have worked. Um, and as you, it's the old adage, right? Timing is everything. There's a lot more than just timing and there's a lot more than just an idea, but timing is so important. And right now, we just know that this is becoming, sustainability is becoming critical to the success of any business, especially in retail, because consumers want this. And demand's not just there right now, but it's growing faster and faster every day. Uh, so obviously, there's there's been a bit of harsh media narrative around carbon offsetting at, at the moment, and, and it's sort of just being something the companies say they do, but but doesn't have any meaningful impact. How are you guys doing your carbon offsetting, and and how's it been? I guess fighting that media narrative. Yeah, look, I'll answer how we're doing it in a moment, but I just want to say what you said can be absolutely correct. Like carbon offsets are not the silver bullet to help end climate change. They're a really important tool in the tool set, but they are not the silver bullet and not all carbon credits or carbon offsets are created equal. So I guess some businesses see carbon offsets as a way to, I guess, as a license to continue to pollute. That is not what they're there for. Carbon, I guess, if we really want to stop this problem, we need to firstly reduce our emissions. Everyone needs to stop polluting and putting more of this pollution or this thick blanket in the sky. Then we need to buy what we continue to buy. We need to purchase things that are carbon neutral or that are better for the planet, lower emissions items. And then any of the emissions that are left over that can't be reduced yet, that's when carbon offsets come in. Because there simply isn't, we all hear of carbon offsets and most people instantly think about tree planting. There simply isn't enough real estate, open real estate across the globe to plant trees to solve this problem. So I guess that's just really important background. So firstly, we help businesses reduce their emissions and then use offsets where it makes sense. But the carbon credits we use are all high integrity, um, superior carbon offsets. We're currently leveraging an organization called Greenfleet who effectively reforest um, forests here in Australia with native species. It's also about koala habitat um, recreation and so on. Um, and that's the key. 
some of these credits are just, you'll hear it, you'll see it in the media, they're labeled junk and it's true, but some of them are legitimate and it's really important to make sure that if you are using carbon offsets that you are using the right ones. Definitely. And then I guess just reflecting back on on how things have gone since you started, since the company started, I just wanted to ask what's been, I guess, the biggest challenge or learning curve for you in starting a company? Has it been, you know, driving funding? Has it been hiring staff? Um, You know, what's been the steepest learning curve? I think it's breaking down the typical things that you might come into a startup thinking you've got to do, like I've got to go get funding. We spent months trying to chase funding and we were nowhere even ready to secure it. But you just think, oh, that's what a successful startup does. Um, it, yeah, it's building a team and finding great talent. I think that's probably the hardest thing because when you come out of corporate, you're quite good in your own little niche. But as soon as you're a founder, you've got to have breadth across the entire organization. And so trying to find talent that is actually an expert in their field that you can trust is extremely difficult when you don't know what you're looking for. And I think you often hear about how important a culture is for an organization and establishing that. And in big corporate, it's easy as an employee. It's like culture seems simple. Let's throw another event. Let's give people another day off. Come on. It's easy. From a founder's perspective, it's so much more considered. And we have very deliberate values in the organization. And I think they've evolved as we've learned and as we've gone through. Now, we want to create an extremely high-performing mindset in all of our team and build a high-performing team. And I guess to do that, you want to be empowering your teams. You want to be giving them goals, not tasks. You don't want to be telling them what to do all the time because, let's face it, we're not here to hire smarter people than us just so we can tell them what to do. But the challenge I've experienced as a founder is if they don't, if it's hard to empower people who don't have high standards or who may not be as expert as they've sold themselves to you on, especially if you can't see through the crap um, because you're not an expert in that part of the field. So I guess that's a tension we've found. And even with, I guess, our organization, we've had to make some really difficult decisions and really hold ourselves to our values. And we're really clear when people start, we hire based on these, but in the unfortunate event, there's not a good fit or there's a breach in our values. We also let people go and we've had to do that. So I guess the tension is there's only so much empowerment you can do and so long a leash you can provide, especially in a startup with limited runway, if people aren't capable as they sort of, if they overpromise and underdeliver, or if they don't continually strive for better. Yeah, and one of the things you mentioned there was, you know, some of the learnings from from working in in the corporate world. And if if you could just reflect back on on your life before Greener and and the things that that you did in some of your previous jobs and roles, what was it that, you know, is there anything you've learned whether positive or maybe something that you wanted to stay away from culture-wise that sort of informed how you've set up the company, what you've wanted the company to be like and the culture within it? Yeah, look, I've always liked to do things differently. Whether it be something that I'm doing at work 
or the next time I go to an Indian restaurant, I want to try the different item on the menu. I don't know. It's just like I always want to do something different or do things differently. Um, and I guess while many have trodden the well-trodden path before, um, and that's all great, I guess, a lot of the time it's because people may not necessarily want to change or they're too lazy or maybe they just don't want to try something new. And so doing something different, doing things differently, I should say, can get great results if it's done so in a calculated manner and not just stupidly. And so I think that's something that I've always done. I used to be in IT. When I was in IT, people would go, you're not your typical IT person. And I didn't shy away from that. It was something I was proud of because we then also, our team did things differently and got better results. Um, now, you don't always get it right, but when you do, something special happens. And I guess my whole thing is I continue to follow my gut until there's a compelling evidence to suggest it's wrong because people, if you're trying to do things differently, people will always tell you what you're doing is wrong. So I think that's one of the big learnings I've had throughout my career if I look back in different roles that I've been in, I do things differently and I keep striving until it works and does some and until something special happens. Yeah, and just looking forward, um, you know, what do the next couple of years look like? What's the timeline on on getting all the consumer side online? And and then I guess further than that, where would you like to be in five years, ten years' time with Greener? So one thing I'm really proud of for our business is that we have absolute clarity on what we'll be doing every day from now until greener no longer exists. And that's because every day, everyone in our team comes to work to bring people and businesses together to help end climate change. Now, that's our purpose. That's why we exist. And it doesn't matter what your role is within the organisation that's what you come to do every day. But I'm pretty confident that's not the answer that you were looking for. So I think off the back of our recent capital raise, we have two main priorities in the next 12 months. We want to continue to iterate both of our solutions until people and businesses just can't put them down. So we know we've got something that when we open the floodgates, that we'll have a great solution that is really delivering on our purpose. And the second thing is we want to continue to build out the green economy. So as I mentioned, the green economy is where consumers can buy whatever they want and everything's carbon neutral. It's from businesses that are getting better from the planet and you know that it'll help you get your carbon footprint down to that two-ton target. And we've got the likes of T2T, Scoop Whole Foods, Bondi Born, BrewDog, Microsoft. We've got so many great brands that are backing this as founding partners of the green economy, and we want to double that by launch. And I guess looking beyond that five years from now, um, or even let's go 10 years from now, our whole vision is to see every dollar spent across the globe helping end climate change. So that's our ultimate North Star. And to do that, we've just got to bring more and more businesses and more and more people together to help in climate change. Yeah, it's obviously uh, really important to have purpose at, at everything you do and especially in a business like like yours. And 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 sort of on from that and to my final question, and it's something I think we have actually have covered a little bit as well in terms of, you know, you talking about you doing things differently. 
uh, that question being what's your silver bullet for business success, you know, it doesn't actually have to be one thing. And and one of the really interesting things I've found chatting with different founders is is quite often it's not actually even a practice that's related to business. It can be a mindset or a, or a grind set, although I hate that word. And And for some people, it's going for a run in the morning or going for a surf essentially what what do you think you've done differently that's allowed you to you know succeed over people that believe if you just work hard every day that that you'll make it yeah there's no doubt working hard is a key ingredient but i guess what i feel that is my silver bullet and it's something that i'm always focused on i've just got a relentless focus on making complex things simple and decision making easy And I guess for too long, there's been some weird fascination for people just to overcomplicate things. And I don't know if it's to try and demonstrate some form of superior intellect or whatever, but it's just crazy. All it does is slow people down, paralyze decision-making, and nothing happens. So I guess I'm always focused on that. And I recently was um, listening to an audio book. And I think they talk about the croc brain. And I think it might be, it might have something to do with the fact that I believe I have the largest croc brain in the world. Um, I don't, have you heard of what a croc brain is? I'm not sure. No, you have to explain it to me. So I hadn't either, but supposedly, and I'll try and get this right, but supposedly your brain split up into three parts. You've got your neocortex, which is the part that processes the real complex thoughts and concepts. You've got your limbic part, which is in the middle, and it processes your emotions. It's sort of what makes you feel. And then the first part is actually called your croc brain. And it really stems back to when, you know, to the whole crocodile thing with reptiles. And the whole purpose of it is that the croc brain's there to protect you, and it helps rapidly understand if something is safe or not. Now, that croc brain has ultimately evolved for us as humans, and it's not so much, uh, it still applies. If you're crossing the road and a car's coming, your croc brain will kick in and it'll just tell you to stop before you've even thought about it. But I guess it's more focused or it's, it's focused these days on deciding what information to filter up to that second stage for the emotion or the neocortex to really complicate, to think through the complicated parts. And so this crop brain either filters it up or filters it out. And I swear my crop brain is bigger than anyone's because it just filters everything out. And unless it's so simple, I don't understand it. I say to the team all the time, I'm the stupidest person in the room in our team. I'm open about it, but that's the key. If what they're telling me I don't understand or if it doesn't get past my crop brain, Sorry, guys, it's not simple enough. Go back. We've got to figure it out. And they hate it until they then see the results of people picking it up and just getting what we're trying to say. So it's frustrating, but it really comes back to making complex things as simple as possible and decision-making easy. And I don't think anyone's mastered it here in the sustainability space. And I'm not saying we have yet either, but we are striving to every day. Yeah, that's fantastic advice for anyone really wanting to get into business. Anyway, Tom, thanks so much for joining me today on the Silver Bullet Podcast. So easy, mate. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to listening. 